0: Bag Simmons!
1: Hello. In for part two. Why do you keep doing the introduction uh, and going listen, to open something? It's
0: my fucking show. Maybe your <laughs> venue It's my show, right? Do you know why it is? Because I know in my studio, mm. if I crack that, it's not going to be heard. I'm not oh, sure in right. you. Yeah, because. Not sure. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Anyway. <laughs> you need some sound effects. You need some foley. Yeah. Anyway,
0: in for part two. <clears throat> so you came in uh, in 2018.
1: It was that long late ago. 2018 I think yeah
0: wow. um we were talking before the icebreaker and uh yeah we were talking before the icebreaker about so you, some oh you can correct me in a minute yeah. or pick up the story but you were saying that uh we were talking about the stunt double for Chewbacca who I think y- you know or somehow was anyway stunt double for Chewbacca in recent Star Wars movies right and i was saying that Cannot be a good pickup line for ladies, right? And then I rethought it. You disagreed. I want you to imagine this.
1: Sorry, are you, sorry. What am I, I, I supposed to No, now? no, sorry, no, no, no. I <laughs> was you, just you, thinking. But that, 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 that was a very long pause Then I thought, fuck, have no, I missed a question? Yeah,
0: can you imagine? Uh, it's only in one circumstance it's bad. Yeah. You text him with a dude. Well, you're a lady. You text him with a dude. Oh, right, it's okay. going back and forth. Being introduced. Yeah. M- maybe you met on a drunk night the night before yeah, nothing's yeah. happened and you're like oh yeah and you can't remember much and and he says yeah, yeah yeah I was the stunt double for Chewbacca yeah I would not be impressed with that
1: why not that's you, really w- cool
0: think of the kind of person you'd you you imagine I was,
1: I was the stunt double for R2-D2 that's like, that's less cool that's a bit like what that's just a wheelie bin they pushed down the stairs but the stunt double for Chewbacca he's massive for a start He's like nearly seven feet. He's foot hairy. Ten. Yeah, Chewbacca is. He's unusually large. A lot of ladies like dogs. So, this is like the perfect. How does that link in? the perfect that,
0: combination. There, are, there really. are a lot, lot of, So, uh, two seconds you, by your logic. Yeah. A lot of ladies like dogs. Is your logical conclusion that a lot of ladies, the ladies that like dogs, like hairy men?
1: No, well, that's what I it sounded like. That I hadn't thought about it before, but I'm thinking, if <laughs> clearly, there are there are people on the internet who, believe it or not, have very broad tastes, and there's a group called furries. I'm going to pretend like I don't know what this is. Furries? Oh, I've yeah, heard yeah. And, and but um, even even if that explain the case. furries, furries, as far as I know, and apologies to anybody out there who is one, and I've got this completely wrong, but they like to dress up as furry animals. In order to you know the uh
0: Yeah, the cats and that. It's like cats cat sex. They have sex like uh they dress up like cats or dogs and they have sex like cats or dogs, right? I don't know if they have Well sex they make like the noises. They make the noises like um,
1: meow Um That's good colour. <laughs> <laughs> You can sell this, as we <laughs> said with the ASMR. You can sell this. There are people on the internet. People
0: are dropping off this podcast right now. Average listening sense. time, 33 seconds. <laughs> anyway, uh how do you know the Chewbacca guy?
1: So it was through um
0: Team Rubicon. Why don't you pull that mic into you? Keep leaning forward. You can lean back then. Because
1: well, I want to have space to move around. There you go. So um I was. I was in Haiti with Team Rubicon and um, a text came through saying we are looking for a stunt double for a character and the character has has to be, and I I can't remember the exact height, but somewhere around about six foot seven. And this person needs to be athletic, um, uh, but complexion look is not a problem is not an issue doesn't come into it which is always a bit weird because how somebody looks always comes into casting and it said it was filming in Shepton in England and I or Pinewood I can't remember now but I was I was I was looking at all the details and I was like this is a strange casting this has got to be Star Wars because I knew Star Wars was about to start filming um The Force Awakens and um Height wise, I was like, well, it's got to be either Darth Vader or Chewbacca because they said look isn't important. So um, I happened to be in Haiti with a guy called Steve when I got this. And Steve went, oh, I've got a mate who's an ex professional golfer. Um, here's a picture of him. And he showed me the picture. And the guy just looks normal, but massive. Tall, like, oh, tall, tall, massive. Yeah, yeah, tall, but like completely in proportion. And uh, I was like, "Brilliant!" So I took his details, sent his details onto the person that was doing the casting, and then three months later, there he is playing. Um, oh no! In fact, it was for, it was for Rogue One. So it was even before the Force Awakens came out. Rogue One was the first one, and um, yeah, he was Chewbacca stunt double because the guy that played Chewbacca was quite old by that point and couldn't be doing all all the sort of running around. So they got in this guy. What? So
0: I'm going to, when I ask you this question, I'm gonna, yeah. just going to check the cameras. So, hang on. In those films, yeah. the original Chewbacca from 77, or yes. 79, whenever yeah, this yeah. is, he was still playing
1: Chewbacca? No, there was another guy. Right. Oh, no, they got a replacement for him at some point. Uh, during The Force Awakens, he was. Yeah. Um, I can't remember when the older guy, because I think he sadly now died. Peter Mayhew was the original Original actor, Peter Mayhew. Mayhew yeah. Peter Mayhew. Is, isn't it? Bristolian. Second. Oh no,
0: the Bristolian was. Bristolian was. was
1: no, the Bristolian was Darth Vader. <coughs> that was the Green Cross, cr- Green Cross Code Man. So normally, normally in my brain, these names come to me so quickly, and today for some reason it's like mud. The original, <coughs> uh, David Prowse. I know what it is. David Prowse.
0: Because you're um, intimidated
1: by by your sexy voice. Uh, power Edge. I think it's the socks, I think it's the, <laughs> bright, the brightness of your socks that are kicking me off my game. No, anyway, so David Prowse was the original Green Cross Code Man, great big guy. He ended up being Darth Vader, um, but he was only Darth Vader in body. He was dubbed by James Earl Jones in the final edit because <laughs> David Prowse was from the West Country, so his voice was very different to what Darth Vader's is like. So, um, and apparently, I don't know if this is true, but apparently he didn't know that he was dubbed until he went to see the pre- the premiere. He was like, yeah, that's not my voice. That's a Bristolian <laughs> accent for anybody that doesn't know. And it was, uh, yeah, James L. Jones. But yeah, so so anyway, back to the, yeah. So, um, no, I think, A, being, being a stunt guy is, is really cool. Being a stunt guy in the Star Wars films is pretty cool being the stunt guy for Chewbacca, that's like three levels of cool. Mm. Ask, ask any ladies or, the, or any guys who like that kind of thing. The stunt double for Obi-Wan. Yeah.
0: Kenobi, in case people didn't know his surname. <laughs> the stunt double for Obi-Wan in, yeah. the, in episode one, two, and
1: three yes,
0: was a reg bloke. Ex-reg oh, bloke, yes. Oh. And he runs, um, I met him on the set of Slow Horses because he was, was running a stunt guys there. You're going to ask me, I can't remember, mate. He's got a weird Greek name. Um, and he runs a st- he runs a a stunt. Oh, Andres Academy. Petridis.
1: Yes, Andres Petridis. Andres. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. He runs the British Action Academy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yes. I d- I didn't know. I thought he was. Oh yes, no, he was. Because the other X, guy Red, was a yeah. guy called I didn't know he's Power Edge. Um, or did I? And I've forgotten. There's a guy called Ray Park. Ray Parks, who was the stunt double foot... who was um. Darth Maul, and it was Ray Parks and Andreas that were the stunt doubles, and then there was a sub-coordinator. To look slot. at Andreas, you wouldn't think he was ex-military. We're going to segue you into I think, somewhere I, I want to go with this. I think it? he was reserves. Um, I could be wrong. Or oh, he no, 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 no. He, he was, was regular. I time.
0: spoke to him, yeah. because oh, I, really, yeah, okay. I don't know how I found out. We were on set chatting, and, and I don't know how he Maybe one of the stunt guys told me he was, he was ex-Reg, hmm. and then we were chatting. He, I think he was ex-two. He's either two or three. Anyway, to look at him, you mm. wouldn't think he was ex-military. I mean, he'd been out probably that long. He mm. probably didn't serve very long. I'd say probably he just didn't. He's had a long career in TV and film, it seemed like, and he didn't seem like you know. Just, you know, you can tell people have been a long time, and those who haven't. He just he was he knew more about Civ, Civvy Street than I did, which mm. is not. Um, and he had, been, had long. He's got long hair. He's not particularly tall. He's got long hair. Yeah, uh, he looks like a fucking hippie.
1: I've not. I've not seen him in. Um since I started, probably about uh, probably about six years or so. Um, he didn't have long hair then, but obviously, <laughs> hair grows. Yep. Uh, but no, he's he's a he's quite a well-known stunt coordinator. Do you,
0: do you take that? Go on. Then. Uh, I'm going to press pause.
1: Is that Are we recording? Yeah, yeah. Recording got, it, yeah. I'm gonna wear them. I was going to wear them. Oh, we're back yeah, in. We're back. Yeah.
0: Sorry, we had to stop there for an urgent call. Um, <clears throat> uh, hang on. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh. Uh, yeah. anyway, the point is going with this. Right, so, coming on to... Uh, I really want to discuss it with you today. Um, people leaving. One of the, one of the things sometimes it pops into people's heads, they see people like you, and um, they think, oh, I would like to be... Uh, I'm ex-military. Let's become a military advisor to TV and film, or a military advisor general for just general things. Is it that easy?
1: What, what general things can you be... Uh,
0: advising... <laughs> this is what people. This is what people think. No, no, yeah, no, no. Advising yeah, yeah, like yeah. companies and how to be secure in hostile environments, or oh, that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. No, oh. That's more security. But yes, um, I for specifically for film and TV. I would say uh, there the opportunities to be an advisor are not that stable. So if you need a full time income. Uh, I wouldn't advise it because it's quite boom and bust. You can be working non-stop for a year and then have a break for four months where you don't have a gig. Um, So it is... You've got to really love the job and really want to do it and really love film, which is why I do it. Um, There are loads of opportunities in the film and TV industry that are not advising, um, where the mindset is crucial. Um... And the way that a film set runs is very similar to the way that a military unit would run in terms of it's chaotic, there are lots of changes, Um, there's lots of different departments working together, Uh, lots of different specialties. So military people can find it quite comfortable. It's very easy to switch from, in terms of the mindset, it's very easy to switch from the military to film and TV. The difficulty comes from film and TV in general it's quite difficult to get into. To begin with, you need to do a lot of um, low-paid jobs to start with at entry level and then work your way up. The good thing is, is, in general, you don't need any qualifications necessarily to do it. Most of it is about being a good person who people can get on with, somebody that works hard, somebody that doesn't just, it's not your nine-to-five job. So if you're looking for that, definitely don't do it. But it's it's something where that kind of mindset of everybody working towards a common goal um, can really, really help. And everybody clubbing together. Certainly it is that way in, in British TV and film. When it comes to US productions, it's a little bit different because everything is much bigger. Um, all the jobs are much more... Defined and so you can't necessarily step outside of your lane. Oh, really? So that that can be quite difficult. I find it. I struggle, or certainly used to, when it is on a big production where you're only there to do one specific thing, and you see something else going wrong, or somebody that needs a hand, and your natural instinct is to step in and help, but you can't. You're not allowed to. It's it's union controlled. It gets all very sticky. Why do you think
0: it's different like that then, in the states?
1: i i think it's union union controlled so the the uh the u s in general is very unionized in terms of um all parts of industry but specifically film film and t v so um they're very very strict about who does what job and you can't be seen to be trying to do somebody else's job. people get quite quite offended um even if it's something simple like moving a box. I've I've been on set and there's a box that has to be moved and I go to pick up the box because it's in the way of the camera and somebody on the other so, side of the set's like, No, don't touch that, that's not your job. So you have to sort of stand back. It's quite it's oh, quite God. quite weird to deal with.
0: But it's very alien to, it, it to, to the military mindset that we have in the terms of just get, it, get it done just, and everyone mucks yeah. in.
1: You can understand why, because if somebody grabs like a lens and fucks up the lens, that's like tens of thousands of pounds. But if it's a wooden box, so fine british film and tv is very different in terms of the the mindset's much more collaborative crews tend to be a lot smaller uh lines tend to be a bit more blurred and it's just in general it's um, i prefer it but i know other people that actually prefer having their job <clears throat> rigidly well defined and departments no cross contamination but you know there's pros
0: and cons yep. isn't there?
1: pros and cons to both how did you get into it then? So I, I always wanted to do it as a kid. Funny, you, you should mention The Usual Suspects. Watching The Usual Suspects as a kid. oh, the icebreaker we mentioned that. Yeah. yeah. For those of you that, aren't um, patrons, you don't get access nah. to that. It's great. You should really like the chat we've just had is stellar, worth paying for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the watching that I was I was blown away. Age fifteen, taped it off of Channel Four, and I was like that. I I've never I've never sat down and watched a film that made me just go, wow. And so from then on as like, I I started to get more and more into films, um, how films were made. There was a TV show called Faking It. Do you remember this? Um for, for people who don't, it was um somebody who was completely green to a particular job would um get like a crash course over a few weeks about how to pretend to be that person. And then they'd go and do it in front of a panel, and they would, uh, with some other people as well who were were real at that job. The first one I saw there was a vicar. There was a bloke pretending to be a vicar, and so they had to deliver a sermon in front of four other vicars, and there were three real vicars, and the panel had to pick out who was the fake. Very very fun show. Um, There was there was one about stuntmen, and there were three. Trained stuntmen, and this guy had to train up very quickly. He was he was a sportsman, had to train very quickly to do stunts, and it was fascinating seeing how films were made. And that point, I was like, I, "This is something I'd like to get into." And then, 9-11 happened, um, and my path changed. And I thought, "All right, I've I've got to go off to the army. That's that's where my my path is now." Um. And. I remember watching Dog Soldiers and looking at it and thinking the characterization, how these soldiers are acting is like how soldiers act, very much, very close. But some of the kit and equipment is just totally wrong. And it's like, isn't, isn't there somebody that, that helps film and TV get this stuff correct? And that's when I started to find out about Dale Dye who is uh saving private ryan band of brothers he's the military advisor on all of them he's doing masters of the air platoon platoon was where he started he's doing masters of the air which comes out um sometime into this year i think and started looking at what he was doing like that is where i want to be when i come out the army that's where i want to be and so spent about seven eight years in the army and decided that enough was enough so uh Started looking outside the industry um, and uh, just started off on set as a background extra, um, doing World War Two films, dressed as a German with a terrible haircut. Um, uh, and uh, now you just got a terrible haircut. Now I've just got a terrible haircut because, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's not a German haircut. Uh, and then and then just just being on set more and more people making meeting more and more people and just being proactive being helpful and people go, Oh, okay this this guy's not a total idiot
0: how did you end up on set as an extra and i like, prefer the term supporting
1: artist, supporting thanks. artists background artists <clears throat> um i uh the first time i did it was my sister so in in the meantime while i was in the military both my brother and my sister had started in the film and TV industry as well wow. Interesting, by complete fluke and that's part of what's stirred me on to do because I was like they're getting to do what I want to do uh, my brother <laughs> are you the youngest no I'm the middle one <laughs> so my brother my brother was who got in first he started as an unpaid intern and uh, I I remember somebody telling me the guy he was working for said you are terrible at making tea so there must be something you're good at and started handing him scripts to read and uh write sort of lots of production companies get thousands of scripts every week and somebody needs to wade through them and do the initial skim because most of them aren't they aren't up to standard so doing the initial skim to to, to get away the chaff To try and find those little nuggets Those good ones So he started doing things like that And ended up making his way through Through his own graft Up into the industry And now he, he, uh, he writes My sister uh, turned 30 And decided she hated her job And went and started to be a runner on set And progressed from there But she was doing She was doing a film uh, This is while I was still in the army and i was looking at starting in the industry so i went on set with her uh to help her so i was an unpaid gopher so i'd go and fetch stuff for her explain what a runner is for people so a runner a runner is sort of a base entry position where you are somebody that just sorts stuff out you go and fetch stuff so be sorting out teas and coffees sorting out water uh, maybe blocking off a doorway. So if you're filming somewhere, blocking off a doorway so other people don't accidentally wander onto set or slam a door. Basically, better a set bitch, um, male or female. It, just it, because your sister was doing it. Yeah, no, you. It, it is. It is the base yeah. entry position. It's where everybody starts. And
0: it, so it's the it's the behind the camera equivalent of being an extra. An extra is the baseline start point in front of the camera.
1: No, I wouldn't say so. No, because oh. an extra an extra's is really is is kind of a a dead end job. There's no progression from extra. You don't progress from extra to actor. It's not, you know, some people do, lots of actors do it, but it's not a career path if that makes sense. I know that's going to surprise you. Uh for someone who's
0: looking for a career in TV and film, mm. seriously, yeah, and I would have thought that's one of the start points. It is because you are to experience in front of the camera, experience on set, and Absolutely. you get uh, you get pocket money to go and pay for courses and whatever else you want to do towards being an actor. It academic.
1: does, but it's never it, it's a it's a really good way to get an idea of how the industry functions, but mm-hmm. it then doesn't lead you on to anywhere else. Nobody's going to pluck you from the extras pool. And put you on set as a camera operator, or oh, up behind the camera. Actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, no. But e- but even in front of the camera, you being an extra on set isn't considered a route to acting. Oh, okay. Which is, it's it's a strange one. But um, yeah, I was surprised by that. Yeah, it's a a lot of actors will start off their career by doing bits of extra work. Yeah. But it doesn't. It doesn't. It officially doesn't count as acting. It is. You know there are people. But well, it's not. There are people. <laughs> there, well, acne, there yeah. are people that do it as a professional and extra who've been doing it for years, and that's great. Um, there are people who sort of dip in and out. There are people who do it for extra cash, but it's not. Being an extra isn't going to turn you into an actor. It's not like that's a natural progression. Yeah, I wanted my
0: start on Hollywood Boulevard next year, <laughs> and you just scuppered those. Skipping no, those.
1: no, I'm, I'm I'm explaining you where to put your your no, energy into. Park my yeah. bubble, mate. Was literally I was gonna, gonna I was gonna down tools
0: anything else I do and become an actor. There
1: are there are lots of people who have been extras who who've become <clears throat> actors, of course, but it's not a guaranteed route to success. Um, I don't know what is? But being a runner, once you've been a runner for for a few years, you can then <laughs> move up to something called third assistant director. A third assistant director is um somebody that controls the background of a set so the way the set's made up you have the director who is concerned about the performances and about what the camera sees you have the first assistant director who is the person that controls the set so gets everything in place for the director and the actors to be able to perform yeah the set okay yeah yeah, um so they're they're like your sergeant major they can they control everything they put the cameras in the right place they make sure everything is set up for the director The third assistant director is then sort of the right-hand man of the first assistant director. So the third assistant director will normally um, get the background artists, the extras, in the right place. Where's the second AD? Set vehicles. The second AD is the weird one. The second AD is back at the base, and the second AD is doing everything behind the scenes to get everything on set for the first. Oh. Which is, I've always thought it's a bit odd, because it's not necessarily... They're, they're quite different skill sets. The second AD is planning, forward planning. Um, it's the next a little bit, scene. Uh, not in the next scene, maybe in the next day and the and the, and the week. So, yeah. And then the producers are doing next beyond Next shoot, whatever. Yeah, yeah okay, exactly. They're yeah. thinking next one location. step ahead or getting the actor from their trailer into hair and makeup to get them onto the set for the time uh. that the first AD needs them for that particular scene. You know, they're sort of tying, bringing everything together the first ad to be able to do what they do so whilst the crib career progression is third second first that's not necessarily a linear progression because of the different skill sets required third and first are, are very similar in what they do second is is sort of almost backroom um more organizational uh in terms of planning rather than on the day um and then but but also Assistant directing is not necessarily a route to directing. There are lots of directors who just start at director. Director is the creative vision behind how something looks and sounds and feels. Whereas, first, second, and third are getting everything log- logistically together in order to make that happen.
0: Okay, so I understand director and one, first, second, and third idea. Yeah. Now, explain the producers to me.
1: huh. So. There are many different types. Because some of the stuff you explained there, I thought yeah. on the first or the third AD, or even the yeah. second, that the producer will be doing. So the producer will be doing <coughs> that. So you have different types of producer. So at the top, you have an exec. An exec producer um, is, um, it could be anything. It could be somebody that has given money to the production. It could be somebody that has the contacts that have been required to get particular actors onto the production. An exec producer credit can often be a reward for something, for helping out in in a big way. Um, uh, so execs won't be necessarily on set. They may come to set once once a week or so, to see how things are going.
0: So an excellent example of that, recent example. So Gareth Ellisonwin was a recent podcast guest. Yes. And he was an exec producer on Kajaki, which many people listen to this or watch him will have watched, obviously, okay, as an example. Great film. Yeah. So go on.
1: Uh, so, uh, so his role... In Kajaki, I, I don't know he, but he probably wasn't on set every single day. Go on, he might have been. I don't know. Execs can they 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 can basically I'm trying do to remember that. Like. I wasn't they're on the, set. They're the, top, <laughs> they're the top of the tree. That they can they can come and go as they please. Um, oh, Gareth was it? He was. He was. Yeah. Out, he was. Uh, yeah, he was on set every day. So he can be. That's, he was, that's yeah. 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 His, it That's entirely within his within yeah. his thing. But an exec will normally be. Um, be elsewhere then you have the producers below that and the producers are the people who are on the film from start to end and um unless they are a development producer but they can be they can be getting together the the, (coughs) excuse me bless you they can be getting together uh the right writers to help with the script they can be they're the people that will hire the director um they are the people that will get in all the talent so, uh, the actors, the heads of department, people like that. So, your director of photography, the producer will be the person that brings them all together. Uh, and uh, then you have the line producer. So, the line producer is below the producer. Line producer deals with um, the budget and where all the money goes. So, the line producer is more log- logistics than a producer. Line producer will be getting together. <laughs> Right, how many trailers do we need on a particular day? How many cameras do we need? All sorts of those things. So the line producer will be running the budget and deciding which departments get which part of that pot. Um, And then you have production managers. Uh, So they sit below that. And they, again, are dealing with more day-to-day logistical operations of actually sorting out stuff. So making sure everybody's got somewhere to park. Uh, making sure that the core sheets are sent out, anything like that, making sure that everybody's working off the right script, anything like that. So as you go down the levels, it gets less creative and influence-based and more logistics and practical-based. And then you've got some various shades in between
0: ex-military personnel, so one of our sponsors, the Aardvark Group, are hiring right now. So if you are looking for an exciting opportunity in an innovative company in the UK, have a look at the roles that Aardvark have got going. Aardvark.group forward slash careers for DLs. So some of the roles they've got include mechanical engineer, senior mechanical engineer, test and trials engineer, procurement lead, and drafting technicians. Aardvark specialise in developing technically innovative Solutions. They work in post-conflict zones. They work all around the world in humanitarian, defence, and security, and conservation industries. And they are they're also a signature of the Armed Forces Covenant. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you will know how involved they are with the military community from uh, my uh, my talks about them, my mention of them on every single episode. So get amongst it. Ardvark Group slash careers. Maybe none of those roles are suitable for you. But you may know someone who they are suitable for. So share this, please. Share Ardvark around. Let the ex-military community know that Ardvark are hiring. And uh, and especially if people have an engineering background, technical background, or um or experience in procurement. Yes, Ardvark So coming right back, mm. you ended up on set with your sister.
1: Yes, uh, acting as a runner. So I was I was just. Holding off doors, making the the cast and crew tease so Brubich uh, and uh, trying not to get in the way, uh, and then <laughs> it was it was filming in a nightclub in Watford called uh, called Oceanas, which I'd never ever been to when it was a nightclub, thank God. Uh, but um, a lot of the background extras that they'd got for this sort of club scene were slightly more senior. Than the, ...than the setting dictated. Oh. So, How do they mess that up? It's miscommunications somewhere along the lines... ...people's pictures being maybe out of date by a few years. It can be, <laughs> it can, it can be anything. Well, when it comes to extras... Um, you, know, you, you, ...you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to get... ...until they walk through the door. But anyway, it got to the point where they were like... ...we need somebody who looks like they could be in this club. And so they went, you do you have a shirt? I was like, well, I do in the car. Yeah. It's like, right, go get a shirt on. And not that I wasn't wearing a shirt. I mean, like a like a shirt with a collar, something that would be in a nightclub. So I chucked on this shirt and I had to walk through this scene with um, uh, the lady who's now Doctor Who and Daredevil. What's um, So Charlie Cox and Jodie, Wh- Jodie Whittaker. So I had to walk through the scene with them and basically not fuck it up and just keep walking in a straight line walk up some stairs and not do anything weird uh and so that was my first thing thing as an extra and then they had a scene where a police car had to arrive and people had to arrest somebody and i got chucked into a police police kit for that as well (coughs) so that was my very first of sort of taste of it and then as i was leaving the military i had some free times like right. I need to get on set to see how things work, so I signed up to an extras agency and uh, they put me on set as a German soldier. So ended up on a on a British TV show as a German soldier, and the second AD, who's the person that, that books all the extras, uh, was there was there was a guy who's a who was a bit strange, is the best way to describe it. Um, and, an extra, yeah. <laughs> and um i was basically put in charge of him so right you are to keep him away from the cast that was <laughs> <laughs> that was my job and it was it was just um like he he's causing like he kept introducing himself to the director oh, and this this is a huge set and this german director who was like who is this person This, and he he kept telling everybody this story about how he'd been kicked in the head by a horse Um, like to anybody that would listen and people that wouldn't and he it was supposed to be it was supposed to be all soldiers all real soldiers and um there was a guy from the royal anglians and this guy who who kept talking about how he'd been kicked in the head by a horse and he admitted that he'd lied on his cv and had never been in the forces and this royal anglians bloke was going to kill him and so i was sort of standing in the middle of him like because my job was to protect this guy i was like why are they still hiring him why is he kept being brought back day and day and And it, it was insane but i but from that um the guy said okay you you know you're clearly not a moron not a moron not a complete moron and so brought me back in for something else and then i get i met more people and you know gradually the kind of things i was doing got bigger and bigger and bigger the kind of people that knew me got bigger and bigger and bigger and it was it was very quickly on, we, we I was sort of looking around set and and the extras handling firearms. This is the other thing that the guy who got kicked in the head did. He left his gun, like, lying in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and so, a bit like, quick as a flash, grabbed it before anybody saw and went and sort of sellotaped it to his hands. Um, but the, the I, in general, the, the firearms handling and firearm safety wasn't to the standard that I thought it would be or thought it should be. Com- coming from the forces where everything is done very well, everybody's trained, everyone's tested as well, I found it a bit odd that real guns were being used in a very lackadaisical way. So, I, And a lot of people were, were wanting to learn how to use guns safely, but there was nobody who, who offered it. Um, because nobody could find a way to do it and make money from it because it was quite expensive to hire a range and to take people onto it. And a niche requirement. So, you know. Yeah, quite niche as well. And no, nobody was requiring it. No, <coughs> no productions were saying you have to be firearms trained and uh, up to this standard. So we started doing it because we felt that it was the right thing. And gradually, more and more people started to come our way. And the kind of people we were training sort of went up the ladder. So, started starting to train more and more lead actors and so that's so that's really how it started just slow and steady and each job getting a little bit higher up the road so
0: you first start you started off then as a fire fire, training fire people to use firearms uh, authentically on screen
1: that and it sort of happened at the same time where productions were looking for people who were firearms trained and genuinely firearms trained going back to the guy who lied about being in the forces um, you know People tick the box saying yes, I'm firearms trained because they knew they'd get on set and get some extra cash. I can imagine that happens yes, all the time. Probably
0: because ninety percent of the time you get away with whatever you bullshitted about. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. it's not just you know tick the box and firearms tick the box next military. It's all yeah. sorts of stuff, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. Interesting.
1: So, so there there was nobody. It was it was like for for big sequences where you're needing a hundred people. That's absolutely fine. But when you've when you've got five or six people working with the lead actor in close confines with real guns, you suddenly need people who are a lot more switched on, a lot better trained, and you're generally not going to find those through an extras agency. So it was it was people coming to us saying, "Do you know any more people like you that you can bring on to set?" I was like, yes, I do, and so that's how we started providing people for set, and then it then it was. Me taking a step up and becoming sort of advising the production whilst supplying the people so I would go on to set bring a team of six people, the six people would play soldiers and I would stand behind the camera and advise the production on how those soldiers would move, how they would be used and then I would sort of lead that team and go okay guys this next shot we're going to do this. So a lot of it is sort of hanging around listening to what's coming up and sort of working out ahead of time what these guys are going to be doing and briefing them up and getting them ready and rehearsing so that when they hit the ground running you're not going to waste any time trying to trying to put together some complex movement behind the camera sorry in front of the camera but behind the actors it all happens seamlessly whereas usually it would would you know you'd have to train a bunch of extras take maybe an hour or two, and they would still look a bit ropey. So this, this seemed to me like the, the logical thing, a sensible idea. Um, there, were, there were other companies like myself um, going on set as a background extra. There were other companies supplying, you know, hundreds of people or 50 people. But there was nobody doing five or six really good people. So we decided that's what we would do. We're never going to do big numbers. We're only going to do small numbers. We're going to do small numbers of very well-trained people. So that's how we started getting a name for ourselves and so all of that started coming together and then we we got asked for things like spitfires <laughs> tanks armored vehicles or to provide spitfires Yes did yeah. you have any at the time you were asked uh, in your garage no. <laughs> zero but I <laughs> I had I I had enough contacts in various places that I I could very quickly get together spitfires <laughs> and so this I, it was, how many <laughs> i got together, one would be a challenge. No i one got together imagine. i got together seven jesus two two were real two were real and flying five were, were models but full-sized replicas that looked real so real that people walking along the line couldn't tell which was the real one which was the fake one wow. um but and and that i had i had about 10 days to pull that together <laughs> and i was i was in brazil at the time when i got the phone oh, is it brazil I was somewhere. I was somewhere on a, uh, a a joint forces sailing expedition, and we got the phone call saying, "Can you can you find us some Spitfires? We're having a bit of trouble finding Spitfires." And we didn't know at the time, but it was the same time that Dunkirk was being filmed. And uh, I now know the guy who was who was finding Spitfires <laughs> for Dunkirk, and he was ha- having trouble finding Spitfires because we had hoovered them all up for that particular two week block. Um, but th- just. Being able to answer questions, being able to find out the answers, being able to find the right people. Um, I'm never going to know all the answers as an advisor. I can't possibly, but I'll know who to go and talk to. So I'll say, right, I don't know enough about this subject. However, talk to this guy here. He is the person you need to talk to. And then putting them in front of the the crew. So that tends to be how, how it works
0: interesting I love it i love the i do love the i think in a, in a past life i'd want to be i i want to do it as a career i think Not in a past life in a different life where I could accommodate the kind of lack of routine that that kind of industry provides right you know because there's, there's another thing to it another side to it is that you made the, you made the point earlier about and the reason I'm talking about this is I know people think about going to the industry right and you made the point earlier about uh you know having regular income. And I've dipped my toe in different different types of jobs over the last well, you know, ten years since I left. And the ones I have found most I, I disliked most were the ones where it was it wasn't long term contract, it was mm. paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. As in, and you didn't know what the value would be, or it was or it was entirely commission based and it wasn't like a base base level mm. salary. And I found that um it was, was so far removed. It, it just introduced a concern in my mind that I didn't have when I was in the military, for example, mm. like, or that most people don't have in like a nine to five job. Your paycheck's coming in. It's always coming in. And, you, and you're and you going to have a, you know, for example, they've got to give you a minimum of 28 days or like 90 days notice before they can sack you, for example, a redundancy. Yeah. And that is not not the case. And um and it's entirely down to other things, which is hard. It's hard. It's
1: completely freelance. And the, the trouble is a production can ring you up and say, <clears throat> Are you free next week? And are you absolute, free tomorrow? Are you free tomorrow. Are you free next week? And then on the day before they go, actually no, we don't need you. And suddenly that's your that's your your week's work gone. Mm. And it, it's And you've turned down other things because of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Or you've been keeping yourself free. It's just it is it's not easy. So that's why I wouldn't recommend advising because an advisor at the end of the day is a nice thing to have. It's not a necessity. If you don't have an advisor, it's not going to be the end of the day.
0: It, it sounds to me like the, the 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 best advice for someone really wanting to get into the TV and film industry, come out of the military, mm. would be g- get on set in whatever capacity you can. Get understanding the industry, how it works on set, and on different sets, because not every set's the same, not every production's the same, on different sets. Do that, and then get an understanding, and then... Mm. Reevaluate where you think you want to be. Yeah. If you want to be in the industry and where you think you could find yourself. Because you could, you know, someone could go into it and think, yeah, I want to be, I want to be doing what Bags does. Or they could be thinking, I want to be a fucking actor. But then when they dip the tone in the industry, get on set as an extra or, or manage to get on set as a runner. Or put classic example of what you did get on set, unpaid, just get on. Just call on the feedback, get on set with someone else, get experience mm. in it, and then, and then ask the question, right, what do I really want to do? Is it for me? Because mm. there's loads of opportunities in it, isn't it? I, I, do you know what I used to love when I was, when I used to love, back in my career. Very, <laughs> uh, just a fucking clever. I've only been on, I've fucking the one production. And, um, but well, you were very good in it. You're I was good. most excellent. I'm still in it. <laughs> yeah. Seasons one and two of uh, Slow Horses, there you go. Yeah. Call me up. Uh, supporting artist bags. Yeah, supporting artist. Very, very important one. Um, do you know what fascinated me? the the cameras as as geeky as it sounds oh my god the technology and all wireless now as well there's just there was i spent hours you know because you wait you wait around a lot Mm. a long time i say i would spend hours just looking at the kit on the trolleys and on the cameras and, and trying and to work out what the fuck is going on. How is, where's all the data going? How is that yeah. doing that? What are those knobs for? I like could never, and I'd never want to ask the questions. Yeah. I'd never want, I mean, if I was going into Korea, I'd be asking all the questions
1: but I think, you no, I don't it, ask. It'd them. be like, it'd be like wow. jumping on a train and going and asking the train driver, what does that do? It's like, I'm driving, yeah. fuck off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, it, definitely, you get get on set in any capacity yeah. you can. If you get on set as an extra, that's the easiest way to do it and probably the best paid entry position because it's unionized there are certain amounts they have to pay you per day which is about about 100 110 pounds something like that but it's not regular so those of you listening going 110 pounds a day that's amazing because that's like a, a junior captain's wage or um a warrant officer's wage but the problem is they're not paying you that every day in the military you get paid that every single day monday to sunday whereas a film set you may be you may have a month where you don't get on set so don't look at it as a daily wage compared to your army wage because it's it's not comparative especially when you get discounted food and accommodation within the army so don't look at the numbers and go brilliant that's super big bucks i'm gonna jump ship um look at it like if you were only working a week a month what would that look like
0: (laughs) Yeah, you probably need, if you are going to go into it, I think you're in the military, you'd probably need to have six months to a year's worth of salary in your bank yeah. to sit, to rely on while you try and get yourself in, and that, mm. and that at minimum, yeah. and you're trying to get, get yourself into a position where you're bringing in enough money on a, on a you can't mm. even look at it monthly, can you? Like on a quarterly basis.
1: But if you're thinking about it, if you're thinking about a, a career in the film and TV industry, and there are many, many opportunities for veterans out there for sure, then take a few days leave sign up to an extras agency there is loads of them out there sign up to an extras agency it doesn't have to be doing stuff as an army person on set because the problem is with if you just stick to that you won't get enough work (laughs) so extras stuff there's all kinds of all kinds of work out there as long as you are reliable you turn up you don't look you but basically as an extra you don't want to draw the camera you don't want people People sat there watching the film and noticing you. you. Because then they've pulled away from the actors. So if you're nine foot tall with size 20 feet, they're probably not going to pick you for stuff. But if you look fairly generic, you've got a good chance of being used. Um, and then there are niche jobs as soldiers as well. But those are less... But as you say, yeah, get do it early so you can see how it all works. As an extra, you're not going to get as much access to what the crew are doing. Whereas as a runner, that's probably the, the the best job as a runner on set because there are runners at base as well. So the base is where uh, where everybody gets changed, where the ca- the catering is, all of that stuff. There's runners on set on on base, and you'll see how the 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 back end of it works, behind the scenes works. But you really want to be Looking around the whole thing, so being a runner on set, you're able to see what all the individual bits of the crew are doing.
0: <coughs> Excuse me, sorry. Uh,
1: yeah, but yeah, the mindset. The mindset is key. The mindset. Yeah. Mindset.
0: A point, I mean, an important point on this is that um, now I haven't experienced this because I haven't. I've only been on one production. Although I've experienced, I, I, I was across two different directors over the two different seasons. But from from talking to the other guys, I was on on set and and um, people on set was talking to you and. It, uh, apparently that was a great production to be on, to be a part of, because it was just... It, the, I mean, I remember the director. The director went off and got all the extras, coffee, because one of the ballsy extras, he was a, um African guy, ex-military African yeah. guy. I mean, he was a gobshite, but funny, <laughs> gobshite, and he was kicking off. We'd been on set for six hours. He was kicking off because we hadn't been able to get a brew. It was uh, night as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. But then grabs the director. He goes straight <laughs> to the director. So, you know, it's, yeah, I know. Mm. Oh, I can't remember the director's name. He's a great guy. He comes home and he said, there's no coffees. We haven't been Bruce, like for fucking six hours. And, he, and the director went off and got us Bruce. Uh, but the point being, it was a great set to work yeah. on. Apparently not all like that, but the, it definitely changed when the second director came and the yeah, exes got treated like shit. Yeah. Generally, we weren't looked after as before we were. Uh, sorry, one other point I want to make. Um, you mentioned about doing it when you were still in. Mm. When I was on, when I was working on that production, there was a guy there uh, called Joey. Joey is a serving soldier. He's a PTI. Mm. and he spends his weekends and his leave doing extra work. He's raking it in, and he's learning loads for when he decides to get out. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I'll stop there because you wanted to say a bunch of stuff there when I was monologuing.
1: Uh, no, I was wanting to say about about how a film set operates, <clears throat> like the mentality of of how people are treated, how people work together, comes from the top downwards, comes from the producers and the directors and the heads of department. And so you... And sometimes the size of the set as well. The, in general, the bigger the set, the harder it is because there's so many people, you're just a tiny part in a big machine. Um, but it's like a regiment in the the, the way the CO operates, changes how the regiment operates so if the co is pushing everybody too hard and not taking care of the troops grumblings start to happen people don't work as hard people find ways to cut corners and things same on a film set if 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 the director is taking care of people making sure there's enough breaks you know the 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 director is the captain of the ship so if the director decides we're going to take a half an hour break here. Everything stops. Same with the actors. Some, depending on the size of the actor in terms of their career, not the sizes in how big they are, uh, they can sort of say, "No, I'm not happy." Let's take a quick break, and everything stops. So, in that situation, where the where where the guy went, we haven't had a brew in six hours. If the director cares, he'd be like, "Crap, let's get some teas on set." You know, if if people are genuinely going, if. They're not doing as well as they could be doing because they're not being looked after. The director or the producer has the power to stop things and to change things. But normally, that doesn't work. Normally speaking directly to the director to say, I'm not happy From, from that. That's like a trooper going up to the general and going, can I have Monday off? Range stew again. In in isolated circumstances, that can work, but usually it doesn't. Um, but every film set is different. It's different because of the people are different. The timescales are different. The pressures are different. The budget's different. Um, just because it's got a bigger budget doesn't make it better. But in general, people need to look after each other. Because sometimes we're so hell bent on get on trying to get something made that people don't look in all directions; they only look forward.
0: Mm. More news from uh, one of our sponsors: Rugby for Heroes have got their final, their last ever Rugby for Heroes Beer and Gin Festival. It is this year. It is on. It is on the seventh, the sixteenth, and seventeenth of June. And it is going to be at Old lemontonian's RFC, the venue they've always had the festivals at. Uh, and it's going to be an incredible time. So I don't think I can share the agenda yet, but I can guarantee you that you will enjoy it. This is two days of most excellent entertainment. Live music, in fact, there's other, there's other live entertainment going on. I don't think I can describe that yet either, but you're going to enjoy it. There's a fancy dress theme on the weekend. Um, The best way to keep an eye on what's happening and when and how to get tickets, because it's a free event, by the way, is uh, via at Rugby for Heroes. There's social media, at Rugby, number four, Heroes, Rugby for Heroes. So go go on there, uh, follow Rugby for Heroes, and then as soon as those tickets pop up, get them. I will see you at the event. And uh, bring everyone. Bring your whole fucking village. Mikey doesn't care. Mikey being the person who's organising the event. Old lems don't care. The more the merrier. It's going to be a quality event and it's going to be the last one. So make sure you're there. Raising money for military charities, rugby, beer drinking, gin drinking, food, entertainment, laughter. Why would you not? Why would you not? Why would you not go? Do you enjoy what you do?
1: I love it, yeah. When it's going well, I love it. When it's not going particularly well... Um, and again, it's dependent on the director of, of of how I get used. As I said, being an advisor is a nice thing to have. It's not a necessity. So some some directors will work hand in glove with an advisor. Some directors will ignore everything that they say. And there's everything in between, depending on who the director is, what they're trying to achieve. But military accuracy, which is is mainly what I do, is depending on the production, necessary or not. If you're doing a war film, um, yes. If you're doing a TV show where there's a flashback and it just so happens to be that one of the people was in the forces, it's like, it doesn't really matter. This is not a crucial part of the show. You're just here to make the big things look all right we're not going to stop or spend time or cash trying to get the small things right because <laughs> nobody cares. So most of my job is about knowing when to step in and when not to. What's it like
0: dealing with a high profile, having been part of a high profile TV show um, that, that is yet, that was, that is yet to be released. We know it's been released now. Yeah. So Rogue Heroes. Yeah. What was it like haven't worked on that? In the run-up to it, knowing it's very different to other military productions like that, uh, what was it like? What was the anxiety like before before that <laughs> before that first episode of Rogue Heroes was released?
1: I, to be honest, I when when the opportunity came up, um, my brain went two ways. The first one was <laughs> this will be absolutely brilliant, rocking around the desert in jeeps, blowing things up, and the second bit was like. This is about the SAS. This story has never been told in this way before. Um if this goes wrong, I'm in deep dog doo-doo. <laughs> and it was and because because the advisor gets usually gets a lot of the blame if things aren't correct. Like it's the advisor's fault. It's like but the problem being is the advisor isn't always listened to for whatever reason. And the advisor is just an advisor. They can't make decisions. They are they are they are there to advise everybody. They don't get they don't get the power to choose, so there will be often be things where I will give them the correct answer, and but the correct answer is going to cost a lot more money and take a lot more time. Rogue heroes, for instance, are, um, the planes they jump out of in in episode three are Dakotas. Dakotas obviously didn't come in until later in the war. Uh, uh, but the planes they jumped out of were Bristol Bombay's, uh, and there are no Bristol Bombay's that exist because they were all wooden canvas. Um, I think there may be one non-flying in uh, the RAF museum, but regardless, trying to get them flying, not a chance. So the production have the choice of, do we spend a lot of money digitally recreating Bristol Bombay's, which is actually more expensive than getting the flying ones, or do we just suck it up in the fact that we know that that's the wrong play?
0: It may also be, as you know, that, that the correct way to do something will not look the way a director wants it to look and feel on screen. Yeah. wish we had that situation on, on slow horses. Uh, uh, yeah. T- tactical with, situation.
1: With firearms and tactics, it's always the way. like, how would you normally do this? We'd do this. Okay, that doesn't look that good because yeah. I can't see you. I want you to be leaning out further. It's always the case with snipers hanging out of windows. It's like, well, snipers don't hang out of windows. Snipers are way back. inside <laughs> Snipers are Dead way Wednesday. back. <laughs> way back inside a, um, the room, but then the camera can't see them. So it's it's always a balance between trying to tell a story and being accurate. And if being accurate gets in the way of trying to tell the story, then you've lost. Otherwise, it's a documentary. Um, but so so, um, Rogue Heroes brilliant favorite job. I've ever done but I was very nervous with taking it on because of the context. So I called up the SAS association and said this this is the situation and they were they were well versed on it because um they had um, given Ben McIntyre uh, the access to write the book. Um they had been uh been, um, looking at the various scripts on the way through and th- their 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 attitude was there's so many stories about the SAS the truth is out there somewhere. We're not going to get involved. Knock yourself out. But if you fuck it up, we'll come and find you and kill you. (laughs) (laughs) So I was very, very, very nervous about taking the job on. And had it been a modern day SAS one, I wouldn't have touched it because, you know, that's not my area. I would have handed it on to one or two of the guys who, who I know who have much more experience in that area. Uh, But for me, it's a World War II story about the desert, and that's something I do know a fair bit about, bouncing around in vehicles. Uh, And so this is sort of much more within my wheelhouse than had it been a modern-day one. So hummed and hard, is like, no, actually, we we will take on the job. And, um, yeah, favourite job, best job, um, simply because the crew were great, the cast were great. I didn't realise the tone of it, and this is the weird thing about scripts, is when you read a script, you've got no... It's like the skeleton of something. You don't know the tone in which it's going to be. You can say something many different ways, as we all know, through texting. People can misunderstand how you say something through text. Same with the scripts. You can have the bare-bones lines on the page, but it can be said in a number of different ways. And reading the scripts... You couldn't really get a sense of what it was going to be like. Hit pause. Go to your podcast app.
0: Please leave
1: me a review. Thank you. It was only when we finished off the UK section, which was... We'd been filming for about two and a half months in the UK before we went abroad. They cut together like a quick teaser trailer of everything we'd shot. And the music was... As you see on the TV show, was sort of punk rock.
0: Were you not aware of the music choices before that point? No. Okay.
1: Nobody was
0: because it's one of the main. Yeah. Of, of the people who didn't like the series, of mm-hmm. which there seemed to be very few, one of
1: the points they had against was the mod music, yeah. which personally I fucking <laughs> loved. I loved. I loved it. Same. It's really <laughs> difficult to put together, and it, it the the it didn't need describing to me, but the way it was describing was the, the the essence of the show is about being able to rebel. And all those the music of the seventies that punk rock is all about rebellion as well. And so what these guys are doing are saying fuck the system. I'm going to go do my thing, and that's exactly what the mu- the music of the era was about. It fits it perfectly. So when we when we had this trailer cut together, and, and it wasn't any of the action sequences, it was just snippets of dialogue, snippets of scenes set to this 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 soundtrack. We suddenly all went. Oh my god! This is going to be brilliant. We know what it's we know what it's like now. Even even watching the scenes, you don't know how they're going to be cut together. And so, going to Morocco, Morocco we had a much better idea of what the tone of the show was. And. Um, when i was very i was lucky enough to be involved in the uh, the editing of the show again which is the first time i've ever done that as well so i got i got to see it being cut i got to see it i got to see it before any of the cgi was done and um yeah brilliant and and episode one was great episode two was even better episode three really hits its stride it's like this can't fail to be a winner. It's so good.
0: What was the what? <clears throat> not to focus on the negative, mm. but uh, but uh, um, what was what was the crew? Not the crew, the cast. Mm. So you, was, you yeah, obviously, I'm assuming you're mates with uh, a lot of the cast still, and uh, and I'm sure that relationship will, will flourish in the movie. <laughs> what about the the complaints about? The portrayal of Maine and mm. Sterling's personalities because that was another big well, one that people had brought a contention about. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, mm. I'm asking you not to not to try and validate. Well, why they were like this? It's not. I'm not. Yeah. How did you deal with that? Because they've like they are valid things. Like if someone if someone complain about the the portrayal of someone's personality and they perceive it to be a different way, mm. then uh, it's absolutely valid. Especially if you're Hereford yourself. Yeah.
1: So there is there is a huge amount of variation in how sterling and maine have both been portrayed over the years and
0: i've ambushed you with this by the way no no it's a great, great question sorry, it's a great sorry, sorry.
1: Qu- question with sterling so because of the clandestine nature of the sas during the second world war um most of what is known about the sas didn't start to come out until the 70s really um and it was after Maine had died, very sadly died, in um, a car crash. And most of that initial, what was known about the SAS, came from a biography of Sterling. Now, depending on what you read about Sterling, he is either a, a genius that saw something that nobody else did and um, was a bit of a sort of James Bond debonair type guy on the left of arc going to the right of arc that he was a bit lazy um that he maybe had the panache to get these kind of kind of operations off the ground but didn't have the ta- tactical understanding of how to to, ca- to carry them out properly and that actually most of it was done by main and and everything in between. There are many books written now about Sterling by some excellent writers. All of them are different. All of them give a slightly different view on that scale of who, Ster- Ster- who Sterling was. And I think the TV show does a does a reasonable job of threading that difficult path, which is saying that. I mean, he's obviously a bit more stylish than the real Sterling. If you look at Sterling. If you look at the pictures of him and look at the interviews of him, there are some, some interviews recorded of him in the 70s, I believe. Um, he, he's got a, a, an eyebrow that goes all the way across his forehead. <laughs> he's quite gangly. His nickname was The Giant Sloth because he was quite lazy and gangly. Um, he doesn't strike you as a, a, a military guy. He's, and everything in his background suggests that he was sort of lacking a bit of direction. And his older brother, Bill Sterling, um, who not a lot of people have heard about, Uh, Bill Sterling may have been the one that drove the SAS forward in its very initial stages and that David just happened to be the person who was in charge at the time when everything kicked off because Bill Sterling got dragged back to London. Um, I don't think we'll ever know the absolute truth about who these people were just because... The kinds of people that would know are now dead, sadly. You've still got Mike Sadler, who who is alive, but there are very few people who knew them intimately to be able to say what they were like and have written their thoughts down. There are snippets here and there. Every one of them is different. So I think the TV show does a good job of showing Sterling to be flawed, showing him to be quite flash, but actually not necessarily the best, (coughs) sorry when it comes on to Maine, it gets even trickier and a lot of the discussions that we had about the tv show was the portrayal of main so the the david main sorry the um blair main you see in the tv show is a a character he's based on the real Maine, but he isn't main Again, many different versions of who Maine was. And today you have people defending his reputation, saying that he was was a scholar, he was a gentleman, he never swore. And then you have people on the opposite end of the scale who knew him, saying he was a tactical genius, he was a leader of men, like people would follow him regardless. They knew how good he was but when he drank and he drank frequently he was a different person real Jekyll and height and he would wake up the next day not remembering anything he'd done but be very apologetic about it because he knew he'd, he he would have done something bad and then what we have in the story is main being a bit more of a, re- a rebel, a bit more of a another thing that that the show sort of tweaks a bit is his background. He was from a similar kind of background of Lewis and Sterling. He was from a very middle class, upper middle class <coughs> family. in In the show, for story reasons, to have more of a contrast with the character of Sterling, he's portrayed as coming from a slightly lower class background, so that there is that conflict. Good story comes from conflict so they've tweaked the characters very slightly to make their interactions more exciting more different so i can understand why people would be upset and annoyed with the character of 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 main being portrayed the way that he is Um, but it is for story reasons nobody sets out to make a show where you defame the people who you're who, who you're trying to portray are trying to tell a story, and you're trying to tell the best story that you can.
0: Yeah, I think uh, c- coming to a minute, But I think, in, yeah, it's an interesting point. Like, I, I, I don't think that 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 people who know nothing or very little about the SAS or even like Second World War antics that went on, I don't think anyone w- would watch or not many people have watched that and think bad or think ill. Of the right. SAS, for example, after watching it when they knew very little before, I think you know the opposite. Um, uh, but sometimes the people who are you know, people who are emotionally invested in that think otherwise. It was certainly the way with Kajaki, we mentioned Kajaki and, and the iceberg on start, It's certainly the way with that, you know, people involved thought otherwise, and um, well, some people like were involved in the day thought, Ugh. but it's because you just. You, it's hard to get something perfect, right? It's hard to retell a story perfectly. And then it's hard to retell a story on film perfectly mm. as well and make it entertainment at the same time. I don't know what point I was trying to make there, to be honest. But uh, I thought it was fucking brilliant, mate. I genuinely did. I genuinely did. Like, I, But then I go into it thinking about the entertainment factor. Mm. And the music. When the music dropped, <laughs> I... Well, we, in fact, we, we had yeah. a screening, didn't we? We had yeah. a screening, uh, not far from recording yeah. now. I enjoyed it. Um, and music is brilliant. Yeah, it's so music good. Is good, and the, it's so easy to get wrong as well. That could yeah, have gone if they that they could have if, if the music could've. if they got the music wrong, mm. it would have fucked the whole thing.
1: There were so many opportunities in that TV show for it to go wrong. It was such mm. a high risk thing, which is why I was slight cautious about taking it on in the first place. But I think they did a fantastic job from start to end. The the what I think the good thing about it is it is has ignited people's interest in the topic. So if if people have enjoyed watching the show, go and read the books about it. Go and form your own views about who these people were from actual, not from a drama on the BBC, but from history books. Mm. Go and actually read into the subject. If you're interested, there's so much more. That show could have been four times as long and still not crammed in all the stuff those people did. So, so go and read up on it if you've enjoyed it and learn more about it.
0: Excellent. And then uh, going back, so... One give a give a one liner piece of advice for people wanting to get into TV and film. Ex-military wanted to get into it. Start point. Where do they start? <laughs> start point.
1: Where should they look for information on how to do
0: what they want to do? Uh,
1: there's a company called Screen Skills. So we had Gareth, Gareth on. Yeah. You had I said we. You had him on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you had him on. Uh, Gareth, it was kind of We'll we. take that out. Uh, <laughs> Gareth. Um, Used to work is working for a, a company called Screen Skills. Screen Skills are all about uh, training people for that first step into the industry in a place that is remarkably difficult to make that first step. So they have all sorts of courses on there. Um, I know some X Forces people have gone and done their courses um, that have enabled them to get that first step. So, ha- so have a look there. Um, get experience as a runner. Find out if there's a local production to you. Because um, if you're local, that really helps. If there's a local production filming, get in touch with them. Say, do you need any runners? Do you need any anything like that? Um, yeah, getting that first step is hard because it's. But once you've got your foot on the ladder, once you've started talking to a few people, then it gets easier from there. Yeah. That's a rubbish answer. I know. That was it's several lines. It's difficult. Was several lines. Oh, sorry. Was it a one-line answer? Yeah, it's all right.
0: Uh, bags. Right. People can find you, oh, barearmsfilm.credit.uk. Uh, just barearms.credit.uk. uk, and you're on... On Instagram on social media.
1: At beararmsfilm.
0: Excellent. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, great to see you. I'm glad I'm glad we got, we got to do this again. Yeah, brilliant. Excellent. There was something else I wanted to mention. I can't remember. Oh, I've got a teacher for you. I've got one of your barearms t-shirts, which fits very well. Yeah, they're very good. I think yeah. I know why. Yeah. I know where it came from. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I've, got a, yeah, I've got a HR t-shirt I need to give you. Yeah. I've got, back. I
1: bought, I bought one. I bought Have one you? shirt. Yeah, I should be wearing are it. No, you moron. I should be wearing I owed
0: you one because you gave me a bare arms one. Uh, I didn't
1: think about that. Uh, that's right. You're not
0: having the money back. <laughs> cool. A sale's a sale. Good luck with everything, mate. And good luck with uh, future production. Thank you very much. That's it. If you enjoyed this episode, why not become a HR patron? HR patrons get exclusive access to Premium content, there are private interviews with previous guests and with this guest that nobody will see except for the HR patrons. So before this podcast was recorded, I recorded an exclusive Q&A, a a shorter interview structured around 8 questions. All the questions were chosen by patrons beforehand and that interview is online now for patrons. That happens every time. Patrons also get access to all of the episodes before anyone else. They get advanced viewing of the episodes and you also get other perks and bonuses all of the information is on charliecharlie1.com just hit the menu item become a patron it'll show you everything there including access to the hr discord community and private patron only channels on there so go to charliecharlie1.com and hit the menu item become a patron easy peasy thank you for being a supporter subscribe to the channel and i will catch you on the next episode